This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom and Mine. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all. From personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome to Mom and Mine. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. On our episode today, we are talking with Allison Steger. She is a therapist, and she's going to be sharing her story through pregnancy and postpartum, where she experienced what she calls the sampler platter of issues, especially because what she was going through didn't necessarily fit into the description of postpartum depression. She experienced other things like postpartum rage and anxiety and birth trauma, as well as dealing with some body image changes. She describes her experience as just feeling like a bad parent. She just didn't know what was going on. And to a lot of people, it looked like she was doing just fine, but on the inside, it was a different story. She's now done her own healing and has started to help and support other people going through perinatal mental health conditions. Allison is a licensed clinical social worker certified in perinatal mental health. She owns Highwire Therapy, a solo private practice serving clients in Illinois and Louisiana specializing in reproductive mental health through a feminist lens. She also runs The Matriarchy, a coaching practice that helps feminist mothers use rebellious anger and fierce care to lead their families and small businesses with pleasure, purpose, and personality. She shares a little bit more with us about her view of American motherhood and why we need a new culture of care. So let's hear from Allison. Welcome, Allison. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm always um, excited to hear from other therapists who've had lived experience and and have gone on to shape their their career and support other families. So, uh, and you know, each of our stories has some overlap, but they're also mm-hmm. very unique and different. And since our, the listeners for the show are a mix of therapists and also people who are going through who are like not necessarily therapy professionals. 
it really kind of does, it works for, for both types of listeners. Um, those mm-hmm. of us who are, are still supporting other families and those of us who need to know that we exist, people yes. who, who've gone through it as well. Uh, yeah, so wherever you're comfortable, please uh, share your story. Sure. So I got pregnant unexpectedly um, about, well, when I was almost 30. Um, and I was in a supportive but new relationship and just decided that it was the right thing. And I felt like it was going to be okay and went forward with it. And I think it's interesting looking back on that time because I know I very much projected this outward sense of just moving along through it, feeling calm, feeling good, like just take it like a go. And, and, you know, I got some comments on how calm I seemed about it. Um, but really looking back, I can notice a lot of that as just a disconnect um, of feeling of sort of numbness, not in the sense of not being excited or not wanting the baby, but the overwhelm of what was about to happen just sort of. Um, And that really transitioned also into my birth experience, which I will talk about in a second. But um, I think it's also important to note just that at that time, I had had a history of quite a bit of trauma in my adult years um, and physical trauma. And so that sense of like disconnection and numbness was really in line. And I had done at that point, a lot of therapy, a lot of work, I was in a good place, but I was also actively in the middle of an eating disorder as well when I got pregnant. So I had all these sort of little things going on and, and thankfully that was a reason for me to really pull back on a lot of my eating disorder habits um, Mm -hmm. and created a lot of space for healing um, just by the fact of, I don't want to do this while I'm pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, But all that just to say that there was a lot of like, not active distress, but a lot of things happening. (laughs) Um, And then just combined with, you know, my 30 years up to that point Mm -hmm. and, you know, life. So it kind of lent itself to this, like, a feeling of disorientation. Like this is the thing that I chose and I'm happy to do it, but also uh, what what's going on and where am I in this? So when I um, went into labor, I my water broke um, and it, I went to the hospital once I realized what had happened. And they told me that, you know, within, they want to have the baby out within 24 hours um, because otherwise it could get an infection of the fluid or something. Um, and I was right at my due date. I was not, I was just a few days early. Mm-hmm. So again, it was sort of this like, oh, okay. Like I haven't really, I kind of just thought that I would start going, you know, having contractions and I would hang out at home and like, then we'd go to the hospital and I hadn't really considered another option. And again, that sense of like, it'll probably just work out. (laughs) It'll be fine. Um, And so when that's not what happened, it really strengthened that feeling of like, I need to check out. I'm completely overwhelmed here. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling just very much like helpless inside of my body. Like this is happening. Mm -hmm. Um, They started me on Pitocin in order to induce uh, labor. And that was miserable. Um, You know, it went from zero to a hundred in like five minutes. Um, 
And because of that feeling of disconnection with myself and my body, it was really hard to be able to like lean into the pain and just sort of be with it. And um, it was also really difficult once I chose for an epidural because of the sense of numbness was really jarring as well. Like nothing felt right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of medical interventions that happened, a lot of just furthering that sense of like, I am not in charge of my body. Um, I can't do this. I'm not strong enough. What was I thinking? Um, eventually leading to an emergency C-section because I was actually getting an infection of the amniotic fluid. Um, and so that actually felt sort of like a relief when that was on the table because I had, you know, been trying to push the baby out and she just was coming up and then popping back <laughs> and just not getting anywhere was really hard, but you know, it's a major surgery. It was a lot, very fast and you know, you're in this haze state. And so it's again, just like something, okay, this is just happening. Like they're just taking the baby out now. And um, it was that experience that I think so many people probably listening to this podcast know so well of like, all right, well, the baby's out and she's healthy and you're fine. Like, we're just going to give you antibiotics and it's good. So cool, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, carry on. Right. And, you know, that's just not it. And I think still at that point, you know, I was in that space of like, okay, yeah, sure. Like, let's just, let's just move along. It's fine. Um, what the hell just happened? But also I can't think about that too much. Um, and so immediately kind of went into this place of like over-functioning and let me prove like that, how much I have this. And I remember being on the operating table and the, one of the doctors making some comment about like, oh, your body, like you exercise a lot. So like, you're going to just bounce right back and you're going to be fine and you're going to look great. And like that stuck in my head, like, okay, I have to like prove that, (laughs) you know? Um, So just immediately was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm not going to lay around in bed all day. I'm going to get up. I'm going to cook. I'm going to clean. I'm going to take care of this baby and I'll be fine. Like, it's not a big deal. (laughs) I don't, I don't need any help. Um, And, you know, no, (laughs) that's not, uh, you know, that's bullshit. Um, But that's what, that was the way that I knew to feel okay and to stay in control of things. Um, And just really having to like prove how much I have this. Now, in the meantime, you know, this is what I was projecting and and how I was kind of getting through my days. But underneath, there was just this sense of total panic, (laughs) which didn't manifest itself as what I would say is like traditional postpartum depression or even anxiety, which was interesting because I'm a very anxious person and I for sure thought (laughs) that was going to come out. And it was more like this, again, this like complete dysregulation. Like I'd get completely overwhelmed. I'd be like screaming into my pillow. I'd be like feeling so angry towards my daughter. Like why, you know, why aren't you breastfeeding the right way? Or why are you still crying? Why won't you go to sleep? Mm -hmm. And then of course, just feeling like so awful that I could even be thinking about that Mm -hmm. (laughs) to this baby. Like I recognize that she's a baby, but also I feel totally in distress here and couldn't quite explain what was 
wrong because it didn't seem like there was enough quote wrong (laughs) with me to ask for some sort of help or to tell someone how I was feeling. It just felt like if I was feeling bad, it was because I couldn't handle it. Mm -hmm. Was, can I ask a question? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, You said, uh, you know, that feeling of over-functioning, like you needed Mm -hmm. to do everything on your own. Mm -hmm. Um, Was there help available and you didn't want the help or like you, you didn't have the help. So you had to do everything on your own. A little bit of both. So my partner is, um, he travels for work pretty extensively and always has. Um, so he was gone about half the time Mm. and there was a part of me that felt very much like, yeah, go ahead, go back to your job and and just go do this because I can, I can handle it because there was an association of the more I can handle, the more valuable I am as a mother and as a human. Um, So it's not that there wasn't help. And I was very fortunate in that way. It was that I did not feel like I had permission to actually take it. Like people would offer it, but there was that sense of like, but they don't really want to do this and Uh I could handle it. So I shouldn't bother them. Yeah. Um, But yes, a lot of the time I was physically alone and in charge of kind of handling everything um, day to day. So that's how it was for a very long time and just continuing to feel really um, adrift and like, okay, today's the day I'm going to get it together and I'm not going to get frustrated and I'm not going to, you know, scream in the bathroom shower, (laughs) like bang on my steering wheel when my child, you know, is screaming in her car seat. And, you know, recognizing now too, that I have a much like me, very highly sensitive child who was, you know, very, she cried a lot, (laughs) basically. And that sound and that feeling of not being able to help her, which I don't think is unique to me, but it was like, so like just nails on a chalkboard and just couldn't believe that I couldn't get it together and figure it out. So yeah, it really just felt like I didn't have a place in getting help, you know, and not in, not in the sense of there were no resources, but in like, I didn't recognize my story mm-hmm. um, because it looked pretty, I looked like I, you know, I was not in a lot of stress or like, you know, this classic depression, like I was showering, I was going to work, I was seeing friends, I was you know, doing all these things. But I had also not heard of like postpartum rage at that point either. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought I was a bad mom. <laughs> and um, I remember, I don't even remember where the first time I heard it, but the physical reaction I had of like, yes, <laughs> this is what this is. Uh-huh. And it's not a pathology and it's not, you know, something that's deeply wrong with me. It is the way I'm trying to express my needs. This is how my needs are coming out. Um, and I am not getting what I need <laughs> right now to be able to function the way that I want to. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. 
This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Yeah, so So how far, can I ask how Mm -hmm. far into your experience into the postpartum um, were you experiencing that and Mm -hmm. when, when you found out or figured out what was going on? Yes. I would say the first probably three years and I, I was seeing a therapist and, you know, it, it, she was incredibly helpful. She was wonderful. Um, and she, but it was just such slow work of like getting me to believe that, you know, I was allowed to have Mm self-compassion that a lot of my responses were based in old trauma and like the, and needing to have control and Mm -hmm. needing to check out Mm -hmm. (laughs) for myself as a way of safety and starting to like put those pieces together. So I was very thankful to have that. And I think it finally clicked together in a way um, when my daughter was about three or three and a half. Um, I would say that also coincided with the 2016 election, um, which just sort of snapped me to attention with a lot of things and made me feel like I needed more autonomy and I needed to be awake (laughs) and alert and for myself, for my daughter, for the world, Um, you know, much too late, but here we are. (laughs) So Um, that did sort of feel like a catalyst to like, okay, you know, I've got to, I've got to come back to my self tier two and not have my entire identity be what I can do for my child. And then feeling like just, it's not, it's never enough (laughs) and being in that cycle. Um, and then, just feeling so burnt out and overwhelmed that all I could do is lay around and watch TV or be on screens. I wanted to come back and have um, more autonomy in my identity and my being. Um, did 
uh, along the way, mm-hmm. uh, I may be looking back, but um, did did anybody know that you were ha- like suffering in the way that you were? Like, well, I, I don't think so. But yeah, could anybody yeah. tell? Well, I think my husband, you know, definitely saw my, you know, outbursts or, you know, would hear me like getting very frustrated. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he didn't know where he fit into things because part of my thing was like, I have to be the one to fix this. Like I have to, you know, bedtime was like a three hour ordeal (laughs) for like a really long time. And I would not give it up. It was like, I was certain I had done something to make this not work. Mm. I didn't know the magic, you know, sleep training or whatever, uh, protocol. And so I had to, it was like a dog with a bone. Like I had to fix Mm. it. Mm. He might kind of check in and I'd be like, get, you know, get out. (laughs) Like this Mm. is, I have to do this. Um, it felt like the only way to prove again, like I had to accomplish some sort of task in order to prove that I was a good mom. Mm -hmm. So yes, I think I was pretty. That's intense. um, And and it's exhausting Mm -hmm. um, to have that, uh, that drive or need or or whatever Mm -hmm. it felt like for you to have that much within your control is so exhausting. Mm -hmm. Did it um, did you ever feel that exhaustion or did it just uh, like looking back on it again, did it, did you feel tired or burnt out or did it just like kind of fuel more of the ragey feelings? Yeah, I think it was more, I just, it, I definitely did not experience it as like a lethargy or uh, like, Oh, I can't get out of bed. It was more, it had that agitated edge to it of like, you know, got to keep pushing through. And I could see just by, you know, I mean, there was definitely that feeling of like, my days are not fun. Like, what is this? And I don't have like, you know, I can't read a book. I can't like, all I can do is like watch Bravo at the end of the day, which I love Bravo. We're not knocking (laughs) Bravo, (laughs) but um, it didn't feel like I was really able to like, have a hobby or like commit to anything else or really show up in my friendships the way I wanted to. Um, and it was sort of like, when I get this mom thing figured out, then I can do that. Um, Mm -hmm. and part of what my therapist helped me with was like, how about you start doing some of that now and just see what happens like little by little, where can you do this and let go of some of the, like, you know, hyper productivity and hyper independence and back off of some of that and start to like, allow your nervous system to settle and actually feel your feelings mm. and trust that you can be safe. You're like, them. wait a minute. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no like, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if it's um, whatever for it shows up, obviously, you know, this very well, it's different for different people. Like it can be scary or intimidating or vulnerable mm-hmm. or like well, many different things. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. feeling your feelings is hard. It's yes. hard and it's hard work. It's, yes. it's feelings, <laughs> feelings aren't like a weakness. It's, it's actually, it takes a lot of strength to allow yourself to experience them. Yes. Yes. And you have to slowly widen those edges of safety in order mm-hmm. to be able to do that because, you know, yeah. it's like a whole new way of being that you have to learn. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So with this, new, I guess, understanding of what you're experiencing, having a name for it, um, and having that relief that you described, how, how did things shift and change for you? 
Yeah, it it really helped to separate you know, me as a person and me as a mother, like it, it depersonalized it. It's just me having feelings <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like we all do. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was just how mine were coming out. And so that was helpful in like taking, taking the edge off and, and helping to get out of that guilt and shame cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, so there wasn't then just like that rebound, like, you know, doing the same thing over again and then vacillating between the rage and regret (laughs) cycle and being able to use that compassion of like, I'm not acting like this because I'm a bad mom. I'm acting like this because I'm overwhelmed by this, 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 and this, (laughs) and that common humanity, right? Like most people would be, um, people have different thresholds for what triggers them and upsets them, you know? Um, and so here, this is where I'm at. I think it was also helpful too, and this is why also I bring up like this coinciding with the election because then it started this whole understanding of really going more into, you know, like structural oppression and racism and sexism and things like that. And as I was learning about that, obviously, well, like obvious people can't see me right now, but uh, I'm a white woman. And um, so I was obviously learning about my positioning in this. And then also understanding as a woman, you know, just how the patriarchy and things try to weaponize anger Mm -hmm. (laughs) against women, weaponize caregiving against usually women, women of color. And so having that ability to zoom out to and sort of toggle between like my individual experience and see like, this is the water that we swim in. And it, Mm -hmm. it makes sense why I have internalized a lot of these things about what it means to be a good woman and a good mother and what that looks like. This gentle and quiet and never raises the voice and is always available, you know, and to be able to like, realize actually there's a lot of stuff that we can be angry about Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the fact that our anger is seen as you know unmotherly or something is because they you know like the man the systems Mm -hmm. don't want us to have it and be tapped into it because then things would have to change (laughs) Mm -hmm. so yeah I mean this whole process has sort of been like okay drop in what's happening for me. And then also how do I see that in a larger context, Mm -hmm. which has been helpful also in my work as a therapist, obviously, you know, I'm a social worker. So we learned about like, you know, structural issues and person and environment and things like that. But the more you just sort of nuance it and understand like everything that your client is coming to you with, even if it does meet a DSM criteria or something, you know, it doesn't have to be, deeply pathologized and there's always information coming from their identity and how they've moved through the world and what's kept them safe and what's felt harmful to them. And so I use that a lot in working with motherhood. (laughs) Yeah. um, It's so helpful to have a fuller perspective. I'm obviously, Mm -hmm. I I stopped myself because how can we ever have all of it? But um, yeah, it's just, it's so infuriating how, like you said, typically women are treated in the caregiving mm-hmm. space. And just the, the amount of pressure that comes with this role of motherhood is, is un, it's unreasonable to say the very least. Mm-hmm. There's, there's far too many expectations on, on one person mm-hmm. to be all and do all. Uh, so 
the, I mean, the rage you were in part feeling was, I don't know, therapist mm-hmm. to therapist. I'm like, is this, is this like some part of internalization of those mm-hmm. systems? It like also with, mm-hmm. you know, all of the other things that you had experienced um, in your life, just that, that pressure to do and be mm-hmm. all is, is rage inducing. Right. Right. Yeah. And it, that is rooted in, you know, but just my personal experiences of trauma too. Of, mm-hmm. Oh, this happened. It was my fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, that when something feels inexplicable and too big and overwhelming, like, Oh, I can make some sense of it by blaming myself mm-hmm. and being angry and turning that rage inward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Super fun too. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it happens so, uh, I mean, I'm being uh, you know, sort of flippant about it, making a joke, but it it is, it happens so fast mm-hmm. um, bef- before you even know it, you feel bad mm-hmm. about something. Mm-hmm. It's Absolutely. Just, like you said, in the water. Right. So with, with now having that much bigger perf- perspective, the, the, mm-hmm. the macro, I guess, uh, as well as your, um, your lived experience, how, um, how did that shift things for you um, mm-hmm. in your healing? Me personally? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it just feels less personal. Like this is, there's so much more room for kindness and grace for myself. Mm-hmm. And also for, you know, that just ability to, to analyze and the ability to push back against these sort of oppressive norms, right? And in even to to ask for help <laughs> or to be in community and not in competition with other people, um, with other parents, with and to defy perfectionism. Um <laughs> one of my friends said she was she's working to be actively anti-perfectionist. Like you can be like <laughs> actively anti-racist or anti-sexist or something um, instead of just not being imperfect. And so, yeah, it's just this ability to question, like, wait, I'm feeling like this, why, you know, how much of this Mm -hmm. is, is an actual authentic experience and how much of it is someone else's voice (laughs) in my head. And, you know, that just really helps clear a lot of the clutter um, and kind of come back to what's actually happening for me and what I need. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, that's fantastic because it, it really prevents you from going too deeply into like you being the problem, you meaning all of us, mm-hmm. like you being the problem. Right. Um, and putting yourself in context of the, mm-hmm. the system you're in and the world you're in and the mm-hmm. environment you're in and all of those things. Yeah. So, yeah. So once you have that perspective, how did you then start to roll that into the work that you do? Mm-hmm. I mean, just that word context is everything. And, you know, I, I, a lot of times, you know, when I'm assessing somebody or we're just getting started, you know, we might talk about like, especially if we're using insurance or something, you got to go through here is like the, the DSM diagnosis here and the symptoms and blah, 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 all that. But I always say like, this is low context, right? This is a checklist. Um, or if we do like the EPDS or something like that. Like this is just one piece. And, you know, we also want to start by naming the fact that it is just 
traumatic to be a birthing parent <laughs> or someone, um, you know, in a reproductive age, a mother, a birthing parent and in this country right now, um, in a lot of the world, but I'm going to speak to, you know, what I know here. And we have to take that into account because, you know, that helps us see like, this is what we're working with. So it makes sense that we respond in these ways. Mm -hmm. And can we thank those ways for helping us um, and for trying to keep us stable, trying to keep us safe, but also maybe understand if they, you know, need to be put away or, or something new needs to come to the front to help um, now moving out of these like trauma responses of like trying to be the perfect parents, trying to, you know, do everything for your kids and self-sacrifice. Those are trauma responses <laughs> to a society that tells you you're not allowed to be fully human as a mother. So when we can kind of, I know this all sounds very intense. We don't just like spout this out at them. This is like <laughs> over time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like right. a, power, yeah. a PowerPoint <laughs> presentation for a second. <laughs> Our right. second appointment. Like, you're saying it's you don't give this to the yes. clients all at once. Yeah. Yes. Like, I think the audience can handle it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I do actually, I name that that villain mm -hmm. as the mommy complex. Mm -hmm. It's not you. You're, like, you're struggling because you're within this, but it's not mm -hmm. like you don't have something broken or like inherently wrong with you. You are responding to existing within the mommy complex, which is just a name for like how white supremacy and the patriarchy and capitalism and diet culture all like inform parenthood. <laughs> um, yeah. So being able to say like, that's, the responsibility of that and here's how you're responding to it. And what we want to look at is how you're responding and see if there's a way we can work to find something more helpful for you. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. How do people respond to like giving it a name like that? Uh, I mean, some people are like, okay, <laughs> whatever, but it's not so much about the name, right? It's just, can oh, sure, I, sure. can I name what's happening? And so I think, some people will be like, oh, yes, you know, like, mm -hmm. oh, that makes sense. Other people are like, mm, I think it's actually just me, you know, mm -hmm. so it is, but even just being able to say it, to have someone hear it once, like, I think it does start to plant a seed or it starts mm -hmm. to shift something. Mm -hmm. And I'll even say sometimes like, I'm going to do that annoying thing where I'm like, I think this is actually, you know, just a symptom of like, what messages have you heard about what it means to be a parent or a mother? And Again, just like that toggling in and out, um, mm -hmm. modeling that for them, I think does something <laughs> for everybody, um, some more than others, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and like very specifically, I mean, I can see what you're saying that for, for people who might have a harder time seeing that it's not just them, that it could take a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. Um there, but I, I wonder if about if this, um, just as we're talking about it, I'm wondering if like, gosh, I bet that's really effective for anger. Yeah. Cause there's someone you can be angry at. <laughs> mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be you. Um, you don't have to be angry at yourself and I, they're usually not angry at their children or their partner. I mean, it's like, it, you know, they might come out as like feeling anger about a situation, but it's not, you know, 
mothering that you hate. It's like the constructs of motherhood. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so it helps to direct it a little bit and pull it out of themselves. And that again, just gives room for things to settle a little bit more because that anger isn't just swirling all around inside them along with that shame and guilt. It's like, here's a place for it. Mm -hmm. Here's someone to target it at, you know, meaning these systemic messages and norms that we have. Mm -hmm. So in in terms of, uh, yes, there's, there's a lot of that um, emotional stuff that can, can be explained like how and why we as mothers, let's say, feel and experience these things. Um, how about for the, um, how, um, well, moms in this scenario, or it, it can be primary caregivers even, mm-hmm. um, receive care or are offered care mm-hmm. as it relates to like this bigger systemic stuff. Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the big through lines for um, is is the idea of sort of like self-sacrifice or like having to fragment yourself. Um, so, you know, this is not a new, new thing, but like my, my needs come last <laughs> um, and I shouldn't have any needs. And um, when I am in my parenting role, um, nothing else should exist. <laughs> um, I should just be giving of myself here. And so, and then the idea that in, you know, I'm talking a lot about mothers and the reason being not because, you know, mothers are the only caregivers or because, um, you know, it's only mothers who are birthing parents, but it's just the sense of like, that is the expectation that mothers are female and feminine and that they, you know, then can be, um, you know, sort of exploited (laughs) and their care is just like a natural thing that they love to give without end. Um, And so those gender norms are really strong in, you know, who we think of as caregivers and who often gets defaulted as caregivers and how we define motherhood too, or parenthood. Um, So, and then I would say also like the perfectionism um, and the feeling of, um, having to perform a role um, and kind of always be on as a parent. Um, There's not room to ask for help or to find care. And often I found that a lot of, and I know this is true for me, but a lot of my clients too, well, um, they don't even know what they want or need. (laughs) They just don't, I don't, I don't know what I like anymore. I don't know. I, I I can't even sit still to like, to rest and think about this. And um, right. So then that's like, well, this doesn't feel good and I don't know what I want anyway. So (laughs) I'm just going to keep doing the laundry or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, And just this feeling of like smallness, like you have to just be this one thing. Mm -hmm. And so another really important piece of like through line in my work is just who are you as a person? Who were you before you became a parent? You know, like let's start to access some of that and carry that through because the things that are just brilliant about you just as a human being on this earth (laughs) Mm -hmm. are the things that are going to make you brilliant at your 
specific type of parenting (laughs) that nobody else can do. It's you. And so it's not about having to be perfect or perform a role or whatever. It's about finding those strengths within yourself and, and those values that are important to you and your personality and just bringing that forward. And then that helps also figure out what do I need? You know, how do I care for myself? How do I make room for myself within this one part of my identity as a parent and start to integrate it rather than being like, now I'm a mom, now I'm at work, now I'm with my friends, you know, Mm -hmm. you're just you (laughs) wherever you are. So let's pull it all together. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. And I do, I do think in some ways that job or burden or whatnot is, is often on the person who is themselves struggling um, <laughs> or, or at odds with themselves in <laughs> some way or having difficulty in this um, transition into this role. Um, and it's really hard because not necessarily, like people can't necessarily see anything from the outside right. that uh, the, this person is, is struggling with their um, identity, who they are as a new parent, as a new mom. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, for the most part, it seems like there's not a lot of help being offered either. Yes. I think it's an important what you're to what you're saying, like to distinguish between like, we're, we're looking for to build your sense of identity not from a place of like, you must be fully self-actualized and like, but more from a place of listening and self-compassion and like really dropping in more to, um, 
to knowing yourself, which for, you know, many women or people of marginalized identities, it's like, you know, you often are told not to trust that and not to drop into that. And whatever you have is not enough and you should be looking for some other way to fix yourself. Um, And so we can start very small, just like working with those self-compassion skills or, checking in on your body. Like, do you need to pee? (laughs) Are you hungry? Like, um, can you feel your feet? (laughs) Like these very simple things, but they're not that simple when you've been disconnected from that your entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, So bringing, dropping into that sense of identity, not as like an external achievement, (laughs) but like an internal reconnection. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. It, and it's so necessary because, right, for all of the reasons and all of the systems, there's there are a lot of ways in which either we were never allowed to be connected to ourselves in that mm-hmm. way or it's been severed by mm-hmm. um, any number of things that we've had to go through as as people. Where we had to cut, cut parts of our identity out or turn them off in some way. Right. So in terms of the the work that you've been doing, you, you're working a lot in the perinatal mental health space, mm-hmm. um, but you've also decided to offer a couple of other ways to help support families. Um, would you mind sharing that? Yeah. Um, so I have a private practice. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I'm um, licensed in Illinois and Louisiana. So um, that's sort of my daily, day-to-day <laughs> work. Um But in sort of working through all the things that we've been discussing, um, I also wanted to do some different offerings, too, that maybe weren't necessarily therapy, um, although they're therapeutic (laughs) in their own way. So I created a second business called The Matriarchy, and um, I do a couple different things there. Um, One is running groups that really just center the make space for the um, transition into motherhood. And I say transition in quotes because I worked with people who, you know, their kids are like 10 years old, you know, but they just never had that moment of, oh, we can talk about what this is really like. So we do, you know, a lot of, um, you know, kind of being in community with each other, talking about um, the grieving that comes with um, becoming a new parent and talking about using um, anger or other strong emotions to our benefits, allowing them to tell their stories um, and talking about the mommy complex (laughs) as well. Um, But really just like giving that room. And then um, I just recently started also um, offering some business coaching. So working with um, mothers who um, I are in like care-based businesses. So therapists, coaches, birth workers, et cetera, who want to start their own small businesses or like private practices. Um, I think I'm one of those rare people who really liked the learning the business end of like (laughs) building a private practice. And I was like, this is cool. And I was like helping other people um, kind of informally do it. And I was like, well, let me turn this into something. Um, So again, using their personality values, the things that, that they really stand for to carry through into these businesses um, the same way. Like I really care about helping (laughs) um, birthing parents and mothers and families and working in this space. And, you know, I want my 
actual business and practice to reflect that um, because we need more really solid progressive feminist businesses in this world and we need more care in the world too (laughs) oh right for sure um yeah that's great because it, it sounds like it um all of the principles that you've been talking about really carry through into mm-hmm. all, all parts of how you're supporting other people really checking mm-hmm. in with who are you um and figuring that out and mm-hmm. how to expand on that if needed and wanted and whether that's like through a business or internally and or within their own personal life it's it's a fantastic um, perspective and way to support somebody be themselves mm-hmm. um, in their life in more than just one way. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I had fun with it. <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> it was also just helpful for me just to have the variety too of like, okay, I've got therapy and then I've got these other things. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice to have different, different buckets to put in your work. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And especially if you feel, um, driven and motivated and you know you can help somebody who mm-hmm. needs that kind of help there's that's a great feeling so with your your own experience and all that you've learned along the way and all that you're helping others with now what's something that you want parents to know about um becoming a parent in this day and age mm-hmm. i think it would be that um for as small as oh, society and our culture tries to make us, like parenthood is a leadership practice and it's um, an initiation into power. And, you know, we have the ability to wield that in a way that's really helpful and meaningful and that allows you to show up <laughs> in it and to be fully human in it. And, um, exactly as you are. And so there is a place for every parent and there is something magical about every parent and there are struggles that every parent has and that's just the human experience. And um, I just want parents to remember that, you know, they are lovely just as they are. (laughs) Awesome. Perfect. Or not perfect. (laughs) (laughs) just kidding yeah no I really appreciate that um, perspective thank you for that and for coming on and sharing all of this with us today thank you for having me you can connect with Allison at highwiretherapy.com welcome to the matriarchy.com or on Instagram at we are the matriarchy for sure please do share this episode far and wide And as always, I thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're aiming more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? 
And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.